want the Big Ten Championship. And we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner. Joined again, as always, by Austin Meek. We are joined separately, but together. Austin, how are we doing? All right. Uh, it is surprisingly cold outside. I don't know if that makes it mm-hmm. easier to be inside or harder to be uh, inside, <laughs> uh, but it does not exactly feel like spring out there. Are you enjoying your first five-month winter of, uh, uh, here in Michigan? Yes. Yeah, it's I, been like it just yeah, snowed the other day. If I was back in Oregon, it would be raining right now, which, you know, that, That's true. that uh, has has its own set of issues. Uh, but it's definitely a little bit of a shell shock to wake up in May and see the snowflakes yeah. out there. Yeah. As we continue on here in just a one-of-a-kind year 2020 as we keep going. Uh, of course, with, with football, there's some stuff we'll get into this week and – um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, of course, had some time Austin at home, uh, as everyone else did, yeah. uh, you know, for the first five months of the year here. Um, and, you know, and again, before we get into any of this, I think that it's important to, to remind folks that um, as you continue to see sort of speculative stuff, uh, no one really knows still based on it, what we May 12th today. Um, you know, no one's really for sure yet, you know, what's going to happen with next season. I think it's all been pretty well um sort of laid out there from the Michigan side of things, or at least from the Big Ten side of things. I mean, I think I've seen Ward Manuel or heard Ward Manuel say a few times, um, or at least once, uh, the, and the only thing that stood out to me was, you know, they can't even consider anything until they begin given the okay to have students back at, on campus. And that hasn't that hasn't happened yet. So, you know, all that is still very much in flux, I guess we would say at this point, correct? Yeah, I, obviously uh, schools are are planning for every contingency. Uh, we are all hoping that mm-hmm. there is football in the fall. That that could be a, right. a full schedule. It could be a partial schedule. It could be football with fans in the stands. It could be football in an empty stadium. I, I think anybody who's being honest about this right now would say, uh, we all have our things that we hope are going to happen, but yeah. nobody nobody really knows. Uh, so we are all just kind of taking it one day at a time. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's, Doing the same thing, uh, sitting at home like the rest yeah. of us, uh, mulling over some ideas. So he sent uh, last week. He sent that uh, fairly lengthy letter to the football right, right. community uh, with uh, with some ideas that he has come up with about ways to uh, address some issues in college football uh, in terms of the draft and transfers and eligibility. So Nick, uh, what was your what was kind of your overall thought uh, when you read that letter from Jim Harbaugh? Well, number one, it was, you know, I think that a lot of these things, and I mean, Austin, you've been here since August or July, and so you've heard some of these things that he's kind of brought up before. Uh, a lot of them he's talked about, you know, longer than that. It, it, but, you know, I think in this thing, the thing that, start, that struck me, it's going to sound kind of dumb, is that he actually put it down on paper and, and made it, you know, all these thoughts that he's had, and he's kind of floated around, and it, sometimes it can get a little chaotic. Um, you know, the fact that he put it all down on paper, I think at least if nothing else, uh, it's a conversation starter and a clear and concise one, right? Because I think that part of the problem he was running into, um, especially last summer with, with, with where he went on, I think it was, uh, it wasn't John Jansen's podcast, but I think it was a radio show, one of John's radio shows with Sirius, I believe. And it was the one where 
transfer the transfers had become the topic. They were at Big Ten Media Days. James Hudson um, was still trying to get eligible at Cincinnati, and there was this um, you know question hanging over Harbaugh of whether or not he was blocking him, basically. And you know he claimed he wasn't, but James Hudson also claimed there was a mental health part of that. And then the whole thing got messy. Point is because he's giving this he's giving his opinion via some via a radio show. Where no one really there is, I mean, you know, I don't know what that conversation was. It really got weird and off the rails. There was no follow-ups. There was, I don't know how prepared he was before he went into it. So in this way, and he does that sometimes. He starts to talk and things can get a little, you know, they can get a little deep into the woods and people get lost. And then all of a sudden context gets lost and everything falls apart. Well, in this one, he puts it in a letter, right? So we're reading it and now we can all see what he's had to say. And I think if nothing else, it was the clearest example of this. I mean, he's, he's talked about some of these topics before, you know, the uh, the transfer topic of, you know, the one-time transfer that he supports. Um, hasn't quite gotten deep into the dropping, you know, the and the, that was the big one, I guess, right, was getting rid of the NFL's, you know, three-year rule or whatever. But my first reaction was, okay, this is clear. We can all read it. Second reaction was, okay, this is a, this is a football change on multiple fronts. NCA, NFL, kind of feet in both worlds. And as often is the case with this, Austin, I, I read this stuff and I say, these are all, I can't disagree with these ideas, but I have, I, I really would be more interested in how you plan on, um, you know, putting them to action. I think that's, right. that's my, my, made my biggest thing. Right. Yeah. I've been around Jim Harbaugh just long enough, I think, to understand where he's coming from on a lot of this. And, and I do think that he is a coach uh, who has ideas and opinions about how to make the game yeah. better. He cares about the game of football cares about college football, cares about pro football, uh, and and wants to have a voice on a lot of these subjects. It's a little bit less clear, you know, how um, interested he is, I guess, in really digging into the you know, the process of making that happen. Right. Uh, because, you know, it's, right. it's one thing to have ideas. Everybody's got ideas about how to make it better. And a lot of these ideas make all the sense in the world. I mean, he's you know, totally speaking very logically about a lot of things that would make the game of college football better. Uh, but we all know being around college football that the logical thing and the realistic thing that can happen are sometimes two different things and yes. progress takes a long time and things that you look at it on the surface and you're like, well, that completely makes sense. Let's do that tomorrow. Uh, but you realize how things work. It, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. So, you know, and I think a good example of that is the thing he proposed about, changing draft eligibility, letting players yep. declare for the draft at any point after they come to college. Uh, and if they don't get drafted, they can come back. From the perspective of a player and what's best for the player, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate that you know, he's advocating for something that I think would have advantages for players, maybe not so much for college coaches. It probably makes his life yep. a little bit harder if everybody on his roster could declare for the NFL draft and then come back if they want to. So I, you know, I appreciate that he's advocating for that. And I think it's, you know, I think it's a good thing and in some ways a refreshing thing when you see college coaches advocating uh, for the players in that way. But it's also complicated mm -hmm. because, you know, and, and we discussed this in the roundtable that we posted after, uh, after that came out, you know, there's a lot of different parties that are going to have a say in that. It's not just uh, college football or the NCAA. It's the NFL. It's the NFLPA. You know, that's an NFL 
rule that says players have yep. to be three years removed from high school before they're eligible for the draft. Um, I think it's great that the conversation is going and maybe it'll lead somewhere, uh, but it's definitely not something that's going to happen overnight. Yeah. And, and that's the thing to say you hit on it was the, that part of it, you know, that's part we really haven't talked about a ton uh, in, in the football world, I guess, in the last, you know, five to 10 years or whatever. And, and it is something that, you know, it was probably going to take somebody, I would think, right, like Jim Harbaugh, who, um, you know, played in the NFL at, at, at a high level for a long, long time, uh, has coached in a Super Bowl as a head coach, uh, and has been a college coach at two different, um, you know, Power Five uh, schools. So it, it takes a guy like that, maybe, uh, who's had his foot in all parts of high-level football, to maybe advocate for, you know, here's what a guy is going through, a talented player who does have an NFL future. Here's Here are the things on his mind. Here are the things that, you know, are facing him. Here are all the things in front of him. And together as, you know, the NCAA, the NFLPA, and the NFL, you know, as someone who has been in part of all three of those bodies, you know, let's have a conversation about that. That is a great thing, I think. And that's something that we saw this in the NBA with the NBA and the NCAA in, in recent years where that's been discussed. I think Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, was the one who, if I'm remembering this right, I think I, I can recall him starting that conversation up again mm-hmm. about, you know, maybe we should revisit some of these rules or maybe these rules are archaic or maybe they need to go away. And, you know, we don't hear that a lot in football. Um, all we hear a lot in football is, you know, this guy's six foot one, he's 200 pounds, he fits this need. Oh yeah, by the way, he's a human being. <laughs> it's just like, you know what I mean? So it's like we don't hear it. Um, the, we don't hear the full picture the way we do, I think, in basketball, at least in my experience on the college end, is we hear a lot in basketball, and maybe it's because it's less people, um, but we have heard more over the years in recent years about, you know, they've made changes to draft rules. They've given kids more time to decide in the spring uh, at the serious detriment to coaches. I mean, they've really, I mean, in a lot of ways, they've hurt coaches big time in making them wait uh, what is, I don't know what the, what the deadline is now, but it's so much longer. And some of those coaches are not happy about it, but some of them say, Hey man, it's my guys. And you know, I'm, I'm all for them giving the best, whatever. This was, I think his way of certainly putting that out in front of everyone. Um, and maybe talking about it, but at the same time, you know, I mean, it's, it's also some stuff that he, I think just never liked. I mean, when he first started here at Michigan and we first got to know him back in 2015, one of the first things that I, kind of thought to myself was if there's anything that ever drives Jim Harbaugh out of college football, it's going to be the rule book because it's completely <laughs> insane. And there's going to be so many things that drive him up a wall. And we know that the red shirt rule, the one, another one that he, he brought up, just basically get rid of that. You know, that thing's always driven him nuts. Why, how, why is it so, you know, the rules at the, a couple of years ago were so weird and that, you know, no one really knew what it took to get a medical hardship. And then eventually he started, you know, sort of making the case and some others did too. And that rule got changed. So you never know. Um, you never know where these things will go, but, um, you know, he's always been a guy who's thought a lot about this stuff. I think thinks also, you know, how does this, how would this benefit Michigan, you know, in these ways? I think that those are ways he's going to look at it as well. Yeah. uh, So much of this is, it does seem like common sense. I mean, the red shirt thing, like we're, you know, we're so used to it in football that, oh yeah, Yeah. you know, guy red shirts. When you think about it, it really doesn't make any sense. Like what's the difference? A guy plays four games and he red shirts, he plays five games. He doesn't like. That extra yeah, game, right. what what difference does that make? Uh, and the same thing with transfers and waivers. It you know it gets so complicated. Uh, that absolutely, he's right that there are some easy ways to simplify uh, these things. But one of the things, uh, you know, 
in, in explanation of why all those rules are there. Every, every rule that you change or every rule that you make or rule that you take away, there's always yep. some ripple effect to that. There's always some unintended consequence. There's always some coach who is going to figure out how to use, you know, whatever rule is in place or whatever rule is taken away. There's uh, going to be a coach who figures out some way to manipulate that. So you wonder how that rule book gets so thick. <laughs> Every one of those rules yes. was made yeah. in response to somebody doing something uh, that at some point people were like, uh, okay, we got to make a rule about that. Um, you know, it, it did occur yeah. to me in thinking about, you know, the draft uh, proposal, it definitely would change the way college coaches manage their rosters. There would be so much uncertainty if if guys could declare for the draft. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of unintended consequences, you'd have to be prepared for the fact that anybody who oh, yeah. could declare yeah. for the draft would probably declare. Why not? You know, that's kind of what we've seen in basketball as they've opened up the process to test the waters in college basketball. The conventional wisdom has become, well, if you can do it, you should do it because it, you know, you, you never know what's going to come of it. You know, even if you're not, even if you don't end up getting drafted or going pro that year, going through the process is helpful. So I think you would see tons and tons of players going through the process. And then from, from the coach's perspective, that would definitely get tricky if like your whole team or half your team is going through the draft process. And then you don't really know who you have until after the NFL draft. Yeah, right. Until May. I mean, right about until now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I mean, if it, if this was a normal year, let's say, in that setting, you know, in theory, you know, you wouldn't really know until maybe even partially through spring ball, right? I mean, there could be a situation where a guy has until a certain day to pull out or whatever it is, or or after the draft, like like Harbaugh wants. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's one of those things that you know, college college athletics, uh, especially the ones that make money, uh, football and basketball. I mean. You know they've they've got to find a way to start being more um, you know I guess thoughtful of you know these 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 players and their families. I mean that's just that's just what it is. I mean I think Bruce Feldman wrote this. Uh, this goes into a separate situation, but it's the um, you know part of the NIL thing. I think Bruce wrote this week that a projection from a financial person put Reggie Bush's, you know, hypothetical college earnings when he was at USC in 2005 at like $4 million mm-hmm. or something like that. And I mean, like that's, and that's $2,005 or whatever it is. And I don't know what that would be today, but whatever. I mean, you know, those are the things that that we all see and they're so obvious. I mean, the crowd of people that continues to sit there and claim that, you know, nobody and no college athlete would ever be able to have, you know, market value to give them any money that would be worth. And it's like, well, first of all, you don't know that. And I would probably disagree with you. And second of all, like, why not let them try? What's 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 stopping them from getting a piece of all this stuff? And and that's it, it all works in part of it. And I think the idea with, um, you know, revisiting the three years removed from high school situation, uh, it goes in that line because it gives it gives kids and it doesn't give everybody, but it gives us a certain select few number of kids um, the opportunity to not have to risk their health because you know they can't advance themselves further in life. And I mean, when you get to a point in your life where you've maxed out yourself at a certain level, uh, you know, human nature and everything else says you have to move on to the next level. And in the NFL currently, you can't. I mean, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields should have been in the NFL draft this spring. They have to come back and play another year of college football or they can sit out and not play at all. That is ridiculous. And it's not everybody, but it's a couple guys every year 
that it affects and impacts. And, um, you know, maybe it's more than we would think, right? I mean, we talked about it, Austin. I don't know of a ton of guys that, that could have played maybe after a freshman year, but I bet there's probably more than we would think that more than we've thought about. There's probably one or two that yeah. I, that I can't think of off the top of my head. And who knows, you know, you never know. Yeah. Quarterbacks for sure. I mean, your, your top quarterbacks in every class, um, a guy like Trevor Lawrence, he could have, you know, his freshman year at Clemson, he probably could have been, you know, in the NFL, at least yes, as a backup, you know, so. getting paid, yeah. learning the game. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I think fans have to understand, uh, you know, the, the real life decisions that these guys mm-hmm. make. Um, and I think that Jim Harbaugh made the point in his letter, football careers are short, man. Um, really you short. know, the, the guys who play 15 years in the NFL, that's the exception. That's not the rule. I, I think, uh, I think the stat that Harbaugh had was like three or four years is the average NFL career. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if as a player you can get drafted and you can you know, add a year to that career, getting in the league earlier, having another year in your prime, uh, or you know another year to learn in the NFL, so you know more of your prime years are spent earning money. That that could be a really good decision. I I think that you know too long for too long fans have kind of looked at it like, well, unless you're a first round pick or unless you're a second round pick, yeah. you should stay in school. I'm not sure about that. If you can. You know, if you can get drafted after your junior year in the fifth or sixth round, man, maybe yep. you should go. That might be the right decision. I, I think people are kind of waking up to that, uh, that it's not just the, you know, the Trevor Lawrences of the world uh, who would right. benefit if if we opened up access to the draft. There's potentially a lot of guys uh, who could have better careers if they could get started making money earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you max out, you max out. And that's part of it, too. And that, you know, I, I mean, I'm not. I, I don't. I hate to bring this up, but I mean, because like, you know, you feel bad for the guy. But had Shea Patterson left after twenty the twenty eighteen season, I, pro- I I think he would have been picked. I don't think he would have gone through the whole year undrafted. But he had to come back. He did come back. He comes back. He gets another year of tape on him. Uh, people nitpick his game. They see more about him, and he doesn't get picked. And like that happens a ton. I mean, we see it all the time, and we heard people talk about. Well, Donovan Peoples-Jones really screwed that up. You know, he he should have come back. Well, why? Like, who's to say? Who's mm-hmm. to say that? Who's to say that it would have gone so much better next year uh, when the odds of him getting hurt or anything else happening with a brand new quarterback, whatever else, could have could have dinged it further, and and, and then you never know. And so, you know, the point is with 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 athlete with athletics and in high level, you only have a certain you know range of time to really hit it. And and to really get, I mean, and that's what the market dictates, right? That's you only have a certain amount of time. Even in the NFL now, we see it. You know, a guy gets to the year four, year three, whatever, toward the end of that rookie deal, and it's okay. Well, you were a third round pick, but uh, that's it. You know, we're done with this, and you're done, and you're done. You know, before you even feel like you ever got started, it happens so fast. And I think that was a great point, Austin. I mean, like I think people are starting to realize that we saw it in basketball. Um a little earlier, but again, I think it's because there's less players and, you know, that sort of thing. But I think people are starting to see a little bit more of that in football in that, no, you don't have to be a lock first round draft pick to say, I want to go uh, at 21 or whatever as a, as a junior. Uh, and, and like, and that's fine. Like a lot of guys end up making it and they work out and, you know, it ends up being okay for them. But, um, you know, as time goes on here, I think those are all conversations that are, that are certainly valuable and ones that are worth having. And, um, you know, I haven't seen any pushback yet. Has anybody uh, come out 
I was waiting for uh, you know Nick Saban or somebody to uh, get yeah, on a Zoom call and say this is bullshit, but I haven't seen anything yet. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah, I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen the SEC group uh, really push back yeah. to our. You know, we've seen a, we've seen a few things. Uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh's uh, motives will always be uh, you know under suspicion. Of course, uh, it's football, man. Like in like, some what? corners of the world, yeah. and, and maybe right, right. so. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, that's the point, right? The loophole game yeah. is required in football. Yes. And I think what he was saying was, let's limit the loopholes because we're all using and exploiting the hell out of them. Yes. So maybe let's try to limit them a little bit. And I think that's a fine idea. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, let's, uh, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, let's talk a little bit of uh, recruiting here. I was, uh, so I did my live Q&A a couple yeah. weeks ago. Uh, I had like four questions in a row uh, from people who uh were sounded pretty nervous uh, about mm-hmm. the the direction of Michigan's recruiting class, especially on the defensive side. Uh, they've uh, right. they've gotten some uh, you know some pretty high profile commitments on the off- offensive side of the ball. Obviously, JJ McCarthy, uh, the quarterback, five star quarterback, top twenty five player in the class. He was sort of the cornerstone player for building that twenty twenty one class. Uh, but if you look at the defensive side. Uh, some guys that are you know project type guys. Uh, may- maybe yeah. your classic Don Brown type recruits uh, who don't necessarily come in with a lot of hype. Uh, but Michigan and Don Brown, they see something that they like and something that they can develop. Uh, just over the weekend, Michigan did add uh, a couple commitments: uh, Tyler McLaurin. Uh, a linebacker, Rod Moore, a safety. Uh, so that recruiting class even looks a little bit different than it did a week or so ago. But uh, Nick, what what are your thoughts? Just kind of looking at, at the overview of how that has developed. Yeah, I think in general, we've seen this in years past. Um, we we used to see this a lot when uh, they would go out on their camp satellite camp stuff. They would take a lot of kids uh, early. Uh, a lot of the kids that they were, you know maybe not necessarily in as big a fight for uh, the kids that they'd identified earlier in the cycle as possible, you know, projects, like you said, Austin. I mean, that's a great way of putting it. Like guys who maybe could play a couple different positions, uh, guys who are, you know, possible hybrid candidates, you know, those are the guys that they take typically early on like this, you know, like a, maybe like a McLaurin uh, or some of these guys at the, at the back end, you see a guy like TJ Guy, who's a 6'4", 240-pound defensive end. That obviously isn't going to be, you know, his final <laughs> body weight. And the same with, uh, I can't, Dominic uh, Giddes, Giddes, I can't pronounce Giddes, I, I'm yeah, a reader here. Like I'm Giddes, not, Giddes, yeah. Right. So, I mean, those are guys that are kind of uh, project guys that you're taking and you're hoping, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say you're squinting when you're looking at them, but, you know, you kind of are, right? Those are guys where you look at them and you say, Okay, in two years, I think we're going to have this from this guy, or in three years, we're going to have this from this guy. Not he, we expect him to come in here next next year and, and be a guy who immediately comes and start comes and starts you know hitting the hammer for us. And, and typically, as time has gone on, and especially after we started to see the changes with uh, the calendar, you know, a lot of those hot hotly contested, more hotter contested battles, I guess, are the ones that you have to sort of weight on and the thing that Michigan has sort of found itself tiptoeing back and forth on or maybe waiting in both sides on is how long do you want to wait on some kids Mm -hmm. and then how long do you not want to wait because I think I look back to the 17 class that they signed they waited on a bunch and like missed them all and they waited on I think it was 17 that was because or maybe it was 18 and eight I think it was 18 actually because 18 ended up being um 
maybe better than the rankings originally showed. Um, but they waited on a bunch of guys and missed on everybody. And so most of the class, not everybody, but most of them, and most of the class was made up of a lot of those project type guys. And a lot of those guys are guys that we're probably going to see play at Michigan this year, like Ryan Hayes, um, Michael Barrett, you know, guys like that. Uh, I think Michael Barrett was a later addition, but those are the type of guys, you know, that I, that I'm seeing maybe uh, that they've added so far that, you know, if, if that's all you end up with at the end of the day, then, you know, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a bit of an issue because especially defensively, because the, the, the premium defensive players are the guys that are able to come in next year and play right now. And, you know, if you look up and down this list, I'm not sure we, we're seeing a ton so far uh, in terms of guys who you could say, okay, he's going to come in and whatever next season would be, the 2021, whatever it is, he would physically be able to come in and play right now. We don't know that there's not a guy in here that can't do that because he's still, there's still quite a ways away from having a sign. But at the same time, you know, those are the battles that change things for you. And those are the difference between being able to hold up inside defensively against Ohio State or Alabama uh, and getting run over. And, you know, that's the depth uh, all those types of things, you know, guys that can come out and play right away. I think that that's, um, you know, that's yes, not maybe what we've seen yet, but I, I, you know, it's also one of those things where you look at everything that's all the evidence and you say, okay, well, you know, um, it hasn't been the greatest thing in the world on the field. They're going to have to work a little bit harder in recruiting. And I think that's probably showing up. So yeah, obviously the longer you wait, uh, the better the talent becomes. And, and oh, Austin, you also, you'd pulled out uh, 10 players who you thought were, you know, maybe the most important um, pieces sort of left on the board for Michigan. And it's kind of a wide range. It's a pretty good range of names who all sort of fill uh, some of those needs and some of those worries, maybe that some of those folks uh, maybe had, you know, in that chat. Yeah, I think you I think you hit on it. It's that the, uh, you know, this class will end up, could end up looking a lot different depending on some of the guys who are still out there. Um, it's been, you know, it, it's an especially weird year, obviously, because nobody's taking visits right now. And if you look at some of the data that's out there, um, a lot of guys are, are just committing, you know, guys who might be, yep. uh, taking visits over the summer in a normal year are saying, well, I'm not able to take my visits. I know I have a spot right now, so I'm just going to commit. I think, that's a yeah. little bit maybe of what we've seen with some of the guys that Michigan has committed, uh, where they're you know they're guys who um, you know are are good guys to have in your class. You know you want a balance in your class. Um, you know you, you want guys who are maybe four or five year players who are going to develop over time. You want other guys who are are going to come in and play immediately. Uh, you know if you could yeah. put together a whole class of five star dudes that'd be great but that's not the reality <laughs> yeah, right. at Michigan or, or at most places so you know yeah. you have some of those guys in your class who are more like depth players and those guys are great to have if you're getting some of the more high impact players on top of that and that's you know that that's where a lot of those battles are are still uh, outstanding for Michigan guy like Jamari Budin from Belleville. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like Michigan's in a dogfight for him with Penn State. Uh, so that's a really important one to watch. Uh, Junior Colson, a linebacker from Tennessee, who seems to be, you know, very much in that Don Brown mold of a guy who's really versatile, who could play Viper or outside linebacker. Uh, sounds like Michigan has been in good shape for him for a while. So that's, you know, that's yeah. a good one to watch. There are some guys out there who, you know, if they commit all of a sudden in a couple of weeks, this class could look 
way different and the people who were worried about where's the star power on defense um that that can change in a hurry yes and it, and it's not just defensively here but the names some of the names you've got on your Donovan Edwards of course from West Bloomfield uh Boudin, Rocco Spindler um uh Rashawn Benny I mean some of these a lot of the guys from Michigan the local guys uh Garrett Dellinger like guys that are from the state who are pretty good players this year. I mean, they've got a good handful there in the top 200. And the problem the problem areas that sort of creep up uh, sometimes are if, if you lose Donovan Edwards to Penn State, let's say, um, that's not good, man. I mean, like if you lose a guy who's, you know, what's West Bloomfield, uh, an hour from here, yeah. an hour from here or something like that. If you lose a guy that's that talented who you've been recruiting for this long – um, you know, who knows who you are, who, you know, Ron Bellamy is a Michigan receiver from, you know, back, I mean, his coach played at Michigan, all that stuff. If you lose a kid like that to wherever, uh, obviously, I don't know if it's Penn State, it looks like Georgia maybe in the mix there too now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where he's, what, what all is, but I mean, if you lose a guy like that, uh, that's really, really hard. And, um, and those are the things I think people have looked at, especially with Edwards. And Ed- Edwards is the type of player where it's like, you know, obviously, You'd love to have you know a kid that talented in your program, but that's also one of those kind of recruiting battles, a little bit like uh, you know what Donovan Peoples Jones was when he signed. I mean, Donovan was a top 13, 14 player in the in the class. Um, everybody wanted him. Urban Meyer did everything in his power to get that kid to come to Ohio State, and they held on. But if they hadn't been able to hold on, I mean, for for recruiting momentum, for recruiting image, and all those things that are all important in recruiting. Those are the ones you got to kind of seal. And, you know, right now, you know, Mel Tucker's just starting out at Michigan State, and that's all brand new. I wouldn't think that they'd have such a serious problem that they'd be losing top-level targets to to Mel Tucker. But at the same time, if somebody else wants to come in here and take the kid and, and you lose him and he's and he's near home, those are the ones that are really going to sting with people. And those are the ones that get people frustrated, and those are the ones – that sometimes are kind of a, you know, kind of a microcosm of where you're at as a program. I mean, they don't have a lot of juice right now. I mean, that's that's the other part of it. I mean, when people come in and, you know, Austin, if you're having a chat with people and they come in and say, I'm worried about Michigan's recruiting, you say, well, they just went nine and four, guys. They just went nine and four. They were eight and five three years ago. Like, I, what did you think was going to happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? So, like, this is the byproduct of not getting it done on the field. And, and you know, this is this is sort of what happens. So you got to grind through it. You got to get over it, and you got to figure it out. And you know, Michigan's had some staff change in the last couple of years. They didn't have a ton this year, but they did lose Chris Partridge. Um, so those are things where it's going to be super interesting. And then, of course, we haven't even touched, and we did a little bit, I guess. You just did on the fact that some of these kids are committing without visiting. All of this is being done in a situation where you know there's uncertainty all over the place. You would think that if you have a pretty good relationship with a kid that's closer to home, and he can't go anywhere to visit. I mean, I'm just saying, I would think that would be a benefit. For you. Yeah. If you can't pull that off, it might look pretty bad on the other side. Yeah. I mean, looking at this class and the the, the talent locally in this class, yeah. it's going to hurt. If you lose a guy like Donovan Edwards, if you lose a guy like mm-hmm. Rocco Spindler, especially this year uh, when yep. more players are staying close to home and visits are more difficult, or visits are not happening right now, uh, right. you really have to close on your local players who know your program. I mean, that that's what really hurts is if you have a local guy that you've recruited hard and 
you lose him to the SEC or you lose him to Penn yeah. State, even though he you know couldn't visit, uh, that that one really stings. So I I you know this class. I may be a little higher on this class than than some fans are at this point because yeah, they've got some good players. That, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, I, it could be a really good class. I think it's still possible yeah. that this could turn out to be a really good class. Uh, but they've got to close the deal on some guys uh, that that they're right in the hunt for. And if you end up losing three or four of the top ten players in Michigan to Penn State, uh, that that does hurt. That's what takes it from being a really good class to right. just an okay class. And I will say this with the with the with the Massachusetts guys, um, you know, those are Don Brown guys. I mean, every guy that's on that board uh, from Massachusetts or from the New England area are guys that he's vouched for, guys that he's been ta- you know seen or been talked about from connections that he has up in that area. Nobody knows um, the Northeast recruiting landscape like like him. I mean, in terms of the New England area, so Michigan's had guys that they've taken in the past that have worked out from New England that didn't look like they were going to work out. Maybe on the surface, like Quiddy Pay was a super low-rated kid from, what was it, Rhode Island, yeah. I think, when they signed him. Um, ben Mason, they've gotten a lot out of Ben Mason. He was a kid from Connecticut. Sean McCune is now with an NFL team. He was from Massachusetts. He was a guy that was a nothing recruit. Brad Hawkins ended up going to prep school up there. He's, I know he's from New Jersey, but you know Stuber is a guy who might end up playing for them this year. Another guy from Connecticut who they were able to get in on. I mean, so Don Brown has had um, better success than I think those stars probably indicate. And Don Brown is better in that area of the country of finding players who don't get heavily recruited because Massachusetts and the New England football is just it's not what it's known for. So, you know, when you look at a kid like they signed Mike Sainer still last year from um, – where is Mike from? He was from Massachusetts, he's but I can't remember what the exact high school. Everett, yeah. So they signed Mike Stainer still, and he's barely a top 600 player, and he's out there playing for him in year one, and it's probably going to be a pretty good player for them. That's going to be a win, I think, for Michigan. And that's a kid that didn't get a lot of buzz in recruiting because he was from an under-recruited area. Uh, he didn't spend a lot of time in camps, and sometimes you hit on those guys. And I think it's important to remember that sort of thing, too, is if you're taking kids early like this, some of them are guys that are project players or guys that you're – either you think are under-recruited or undervalued or guys that you're saying, we are going to take this kid and we're going to stash him in an area where we feel comfortable having to, you know, that we can do that. We have a luxury in some area where we don't need a kid next year. Immediately we're going to take him and put him there and see what happens. And I think there's some of that that they already have, to your point, Austin. How you finish will be how this thing ultimately, ultimately, you know, sort of lays out. Last year's class had a lot of those guys, those project-type players, where you know in a couple of years they might be pretty good. Didn't have as many uh, at the top end, whereas two years ago they were able to sign Dax Hill, uh, Chris Hinton, uh, Charbonnet, you know, guys like that, guys that were able to come in and play right away. And maybe there'll be more guys on that list than, than we realize, but, I mean, those were three guys that when you turned their tape on in high school, you said, okay, immediately, you're like, yeah, they're going to be able to play as freshmen. That's not happening quite yet, right? <laughs> not as much right away. Uh, anyway, right now I should say in this class, but you know there is still time, and uh, and I guess we'll see. I mean, this whole this whole the pandemic and the way it's uh, impacted everything has been uh, pretty tough to predict. So I don't know how this is all going to go either, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how it goes. Yeah, those project guys—they're not the problem. Uh, but if no. you miss out on on the top level guys, 
then come back. Yep. You know, then then we have an issue. But we'll that'll be a, a topic for a future show, maybe once uh, once some of these other yes. guys on the board oh, yeah. make up their minds. Uh, well, hey everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast. We really appreciate it. We have tried to keep the Michigan football content going at the Athletic. We've got some stuff up there now. Uh, Nick has a story coming. I won't spoil it, but if you're a Michigan fan, you're going to want to <laughs> read it. So uh, keep keep your eyes open for that later this week. So hey, thanks for continuing to read and uh, to support the work we do at The Athletic. It it really means a lot to us. Uh, We hope everybody's doing well, and we will be back to talk to you soon on the RPM Podcast.